registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting-edge practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to today's episode. I am joined by Amanda Montalvo, and she is a woman's health dietitian, and she helps women get to the root cause of hormone imbalances and help them have a healthy menstrual cycle. So welcome, Amanda. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So this is the first time that we're really talking a little bit more in depth about hormones, especially how they relate to gut health. And I'd love to hear kind of um, a little bit about your journey and maybe, you know, what inspired you to take this route as, um, you know, a practitioner in the field and, um, you know, kind of where your inspiration comes from. Yeah. So for me, I was originally focused on sports nutrition. I was an athlete in college and I was like, yep, this is what I'm going to do. It's easy. And then I came off the pill and my whole life felt like it fell apart. Um, I'm sure many women can relate to that. And yeah, I lost my period. I mean, I always had acne, but my skin got way, way worse. Like as bad as it, like the worst it's ever been for sure. Um, and I was having some thyroid issues and no one could help me. It was the craziest experience. I went to so many doctors. They all just said, you have to just get on the pill. Otherwise your period might not come back. I was told I might have PCOS, but like, they're not really sure. It, It was just crazy. And yeah, that's what I, so I started doing my own research. You know, I even, I even saw a naturopath and that got me nowhere. So yeah, that's really what kicked off my interest. And then as I started to dig in, I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> this is this is crazy that no one talks about this. And that I've started, once I started talking about it, I met all these other women that had gone through something similar. Um, even my friends, it was like, we didn't talk about it before, you know, but then once we kind of, once I started like being more open, I just noticed, wow, I'm definitely not the only one that's going through this. And that's when I was like, I, I have to make more resources available for people. I need to learn more about this. And there just has to be a better way. There has to be a better solution than for women when they have issues that they, here's a pill, you know, a pill that might make you feel terrible and might not help you, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that part of your story. I can, I myself can relate to almost all of those things. When I decided to come off the pill, a lot of it was really actually working with a naturopath to, to finally heal my gut issues. I invested a lot of money, um, about $600 to be exact, just for the initial consultation. And um, I I decided to go off birth control because she said, you know, in terms of healing your gut issues, we have to, you know, take that out of the equation. And I was willing to do anything at that point. So I said, okay, I'll go off it and didn't get a period was also misdiagnosed with PCOS, um, you know, hypothyroidism. So the you're right. Nobody really talks about this stuff. And, you know, when you start talking about it, you realize that a lot of people struggle with the same things. And that's why I'm really glad that hopefully 
um, people who haven't maybe connected with somebody who's dealt with these issues or has worked with practitioners that have not been able to figure out what's going on, that maybe they'll listen to this episode and maybe have some clarity on some next steps for places that they can go and give them some hope for, um, you know, finding healing in their health journey. Yes, definitely. So this is, this is going to be a fun question. (laughs) What does a normal cycle look like for a woman? Because I know that I'll meet with females all the time and I'll say, you know, when you're in your follicular phase of your menstrual cycle, or even sometimes I'll say your menstrual cycle and they'll assume that that's, you know, when they're bleeding, I don't think that we as females are, are educated on what a female cycle looks like, what it should look like, what are signs that it's not healthy or balanced. Um, I, I don't think we're educated enough on this. So if you could take on that opportunity, that role, that would be great. Yeah. So I would say like what an optimal cycle looks like. Cause I think a lot of us like normal is just kind of what's common. Um, but I would say an optimal cycle, ideally there's a few things you want to look at. I think a first one that's really simple is just like the length of your entire cycle. So I would say like 27 to 33 days is more optimal. Once you're getting under 27, that's looking a little bit shorter. Um, and it's kind of questioning like, are you ovulating or not? And then once it's longer than that, you're probably not making as much progesterone. So around that length is optimal. And then another thing to look at is your actual period, which like you mentioned, like that's kind of what a lot of people focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it probably has like the biggest impact on our day to day, but ideally like, you know, is your period super long? Like if it's, longer than six or seven days and, and it's really heavy, you probably didn't ovulate. So that's kind of like a big red flag. Um, and just, you know, three to five days is optimal, not bleeding too much, not seeing blood clots, you know, mm-hmm. that's the goal. If you're, if you're emptying your menstrual cup or changing your tampon constantly, those are signs that you likely have a really heavy period. Um, and then as far as like energy goes, I think this is a it's a good one to pay attention to. A lot of women, when, when they're not paying attention, they're like, I'm not sure if my energy changes. You know, it just feels all over the place. But when you start really actually looking at like, okay, I have really low energy today. Let me look at my app and see what day of my cycle I'm on. Often you'll start to make connections. So usually during your period, you're going to be more fatigued, right? You're you're shedding a layer. Your body's doing a lot of work. So it makes sense. Um, I, that's pretty normal as long as it's not like debilitating and you can't do go about your normal daily life. Um, and then usually your energies will start to increase, right? That's optimal. As your estrogen starts to increase during that follicular phase, energy will start to increase. Many women will be peaking their energy around days like 12 to 18 during that ovulatory time when we're releasing the egg. That's usually when women feel their best. Not all women, if you don't and you get like spotting during that time or headaches or migraines, that's a really typical kind of thing that goes along with excess estrogen around that time. Um, So those are some signs that things are out of whack. And then uh, going into that luteal phase, the luteal phase is so, it's it's your longer phase, right? So it's like the first week after ovulation, most women are going to feel pretty good because you're still kind of like thriving off those hormones, progesterone's going up, and then estrogen peaks, right? Mm-hmm. Like estrogen peaks again. And so then you have high estrogen and high progesterone about the week-ish before you're going to get your period. So it's normal to feel like 
you have a little less stamina, especially like during your workouts and stuff, um, and a little bit more fatigued. But if you're having like crazy PMS, tender breasts, acne, that sort of thing, difficulty sleeping, waking up at night, those are all signs of potential hormone imbalances. Okay. I realize how much of a loaded question it was that I just asked you. You did a really good job at just kind of like trying to touch on every little area there. So that was awesome. Um, Now you mentioned tracking and this is something that I I definitely have my clients do. And I use the flow app. Um, I don't know if you've ever used that one before, but I love it because it tells you kind of, you know, and obviously I'm sure this is very individualized, but you, you can learn about kind of what your energy levels might look like as well as it even kind of tells you some foods to incorporate based on, you know, to assist your body and maybe what it might need during that time of the cycle. Um, but then we could also talk about kind of how your digestion changes throughout, um, you know, the cycle as well. You know, some people will distinctly notice Um, you know, they get more constipated right before their period. And then when they get their period, they notice that it's kind of the opposite. Some people are actually even experiencing, um, you know, some diarrhea. And um, now when you see it, do you see that often with your clients? And um, kind of how would how do you address things like that? I often see just constipation in general, definitely as a common theme with my clients or like alternating constipation and diarrhea. Um, but I would say typically the biggest issue is I call it the period poops. Like when you have like lots <laughs> of stool, like period, um, and that's often related to inflammation. So there's mm-hmm. actually like different types of PMS based on like different, what's the root cause of it. Right. And so whenever someone has way looser stools or diarrhea around their period that we know is more from prostaglandins or these inflammatory compounds in the body. So look at what is your stress like, like underlying stress, especially within the gut, because I often find that that will have a really big gut connection. Mm. Um, and then of course, just their health history, you know, like what, what's kind of going on with them. I find for most people, it's usually a gut issue. Um, a lot of my clients that don't have gallbladders will experience that. I think they just have a little more inflammation in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just focusing on how can we reduce that? I mean, I use vitamin E for pretty much everything. I feel like uh, I'm sure my clients would agree. And I just find that not only is it anti-estrogenic, but since it's such a powerful antioxidant, it's really helpful if you have more like inflammatory type PMS. Okay. And vitamin E now, when you, when you recommend clients take that, is it all throughout the entire month or, um, is this for somebody with a normal cycle or an irregular cycle? So I'm often using it. If someone has excess estrogen or they don't detox estrogen, well, I'll Mm -hmm. use it all throughout the month for sure. Um, if someone has more like period poops or really bad PMS, um, and like breast tenderness, acne, that sort of thing, I'll have them increase it leading up to their period. Mm. But it's like anyone can really take it. Most women are deficient. I have a lot of clients with PCOS and there's so much research around vitamin E and PCOS. It's crazy. More people don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a really great supplement. Wow. Yeah. I've never heard of that before, especially for PCOS. So that's awesome. Um, that's a little gem that people are lucky to get some insight on. Now, now we're talking about kind of the importance of having a healthy cycle. Like why should someone care? You know, what if someone's like, well, you know, I'm not trying to get pregnant or, you know, don't want to have kids. Like why should they care about having balanced hormones? 
because if you want to feel good, then, <laughs> then we have to have balanced hormones. And I think that's like the tricky thing. I, and it's, it's interesting now I've definitely gotten more clients that don't want to have kids, but they really, they track their cycles. They're paying attention. They're taking their basal body temperature. Like, and it's really neat, you know, cause it's like, they're like, I'm doing this for me. And that's really what it's all about is it's like, we, if you want to feel good, we need to make progesterone. Otherwise we're going to have way too much estrogen, right. And it's going to be out of balance. Um, and that has a huge impact on literally everything in the body because it impacts our thyroid. Mm. So just even thinking about if you want to feel good, you want to ovulate every month or every cycle. And that's really what it's all about. Yeah. And, and people that are listening, you know, your hormones are connected to everything. It's your sex drive, your thyroid, your energy levels, your skin, your, your performance in the gym or as an athlete, um, your gut health though, too. So we'll segue into that. Um, how is our gut health related to hormones? Um, because we know that, um, you know, the gut is connected to um, our hormone system and how we just detoxify things and including how we detoxify hormones. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I would say probably the biggest way that I see that the gut impacts our hormones is definitely estrogen because we poop out our estrogen. So if we aren't detoxifying it well, or if we're retoxifying estrogen, like if we have maybe an overgrowth of bacteria, mm -hmm. so we make more of that beta-glucuronidase enzyme, that enzyme is it's one of those things that they look at on the GI map. And basically, it's if our liver is going through those phase one, phase two of detox, and then packaging of estrogen so it can leave the body, that beta-glucuronidase will rip up that package. And then we recirculate the estrogen. So that will increase our estrogen levels. And that's why a lot of people with gut issues also have estrogen-dominant type symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say that would definitely be number one. And then constipation, right? If you're not eliminating estrogen and the toxins in your bowel, then you're going to, it's just so much more work for your liver. So yeah. that can definitely lead to higher levels of estrogen in the body. Yeah, I have clients and I, I even just did like a silly TikTok the other day. And it was basically just the importance of having a daily bowel movement. And, you know, I think people have been told by their doctors or, you know, whoever that, you know, it's, it's okay to not have a daily bowel movement. It's, it's normal. Everyone has a new normal. But I think that we need to actually really emphasize the importance of having that daily bowel movement and how important it is for our overall health, but also our hormones as well. Um, and in using laxatives or any sort of, um, you know, stimulant and something like that, whether it's coffee or whatnot, is not going to be addressing the root cause, which I know your approach is very much root cause, getting to the reason why something's happening versus just treating a symptom. Um, so that is incredibly important. And, you know, we don't, the GI map is great. Um, you know, Amanda uses it, I use it, but you know, if you're constipated, we don't need a lab test to tell us, you know, what's going on. There's something going on that needs to be addressed. And, um, you know, there's plenty of things that we can do, whether it's diet or, um, addressing nutrient deficiencies or thyroid and stuff like that. Um, so we could, uh, do you have anything to add to that? Sorry. I, I have like a bunch more ways the gut impacts the hormones. Yeah, want to talk about oh it. my gosh. Okay. Please. Yeah. Um, so, cause I was like, wow, this is, I mean, there's so many ways, right. I mean, mm -hmm. I, even if we just think of digestion, mm -hmm. if 
if you aren't breaking down and absorbing your food properly, especially if you don't make enough stomach acid or if you don't have a gallbladder and you're not getting enough bile, Mm -hmm. then you're not going to be absorbing fats from your food. We need fat to make hormones. We need vitamins and minerals. They're the backbone and like the building blocks of our hormones in the body. So I think digestion in general, and I see, I will say like pretty much all of my clients have digestive issues, just like breaking things down, not having enough stomach acid, that kind of stuff. So I think even just relaxing at your meals and like chewing your food, it sounds so silly, but taking a few like deep breaths through your nose, that has such a big impact. And I've had people be like, wow, I'm like really, I'm not as bloated now that I'm not you know, scarping down my food so fast. So I think that's one that a lot of people kind of take for granted and don't pay. It's not super sexy, you know, so it's like not as fun to kind of talk about a lot, but that's a really big one. And then I think just overall inflammation, if we have a lot of inflammation in the gut or an overgrowth parasite, some sort of big stressor, that has a huge impact on our immune system. And then that immune system is connected to that stress response, right? So if if we have a super overactive immune system, that's kicking off a stress response. And it's this, we're all trying to like mitigate stress ways in our life. And we don't even realize that it's like, we actually have a lot coming from the gut and like more stress, I always say is more PMS, right? Cause Mm. it's going to throw that estrogen out of balance. So I would say those like two other really powerful ways that the gut impacts our hormones. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that you you touched on those. It's it's an important to for people to understand that when it comes to gut health, like it, it really is linked to everything and sometimes those very simple recommendations as chewing your food completely and and lowering stress are much more powerful than you know, I think we always want to jump to these fancy supplements and um, you know herbals that we find online of how can I get rid of estrogen and how can I increase my progesterone or how do I solve PMS? And you can't do anything without addressing gut because that's where all those supplements are going to be going if you decide to take them. And if if that place is not a safe environment and a robust, you know, healthy one, then why are we going to be just fueling the fire is how I typically talk to my clients about it. So. I also think too, like I get a lot of people that are like, should I take dim, you know, to lower my estrogen? I had high estrogen on my Dutch and I'm like, do you poop every day? Usually the answer is no, or they have lots of other digestive symptoms. And I'm like, you're going to take dim forever, basically. And then eventually it's not going to work, right? Or you might lower your estrogen too much. It's a very slippery slope with supplements. And I definitely use them with clients, but like, I don't, sometimes you might use something for symptom relief, but it's like, you really want to think about like, what are your daily habits? You know, what are you eating? Are you super stressed all the time? I think it's easy to want to skip that step and kind of run to the supplements, but then it's like, you're probably going to be back at square one in like three months. So. Yeah. And, and I, you know, we're not, Amanda and I are both not perfect, right? We're human too. And we're not, you know, living in a stress-free world or anything like that. And so it's not to say that you're supposed to completely eliminate your stress and um, eat the perfect diet. It's, it's really addressing root cause of, you know, there's clearly areas that, that might be, um, you know, what we like to call feeling unsafe. And, and if you really address those and put put effort into little areas here and there. They don't have to be these big dramatic changes. And, um, you know, it can, it can go a long way by just making one small change at a time. Definitely. 
So birth control, this is a um, very controversial topic. And, um, you know, when I've posted about it before and how birth control can impact the gut, um, especially in terms of making um, people more susceptible to having leaky gut. Uh, for those who are listening who aren't familiar with leaky gut, it's basically when the tight junctions in our gut lining become loose and things that are in the gut are then able to pass through that gut lining into our, um, our blood circulation. And that can create an inflammation response in the body, which can make us have food sensitivities and inflammation and all types of things that are not optimal for our health. Now, people have responded to my posts about this saying, well, you know, what about birth control? And, you know, how can you say that birth control is bad for everyone? And, I've never said that birth control is bad for everybody. I think that there are definitely reasons to be on it, but I also see the majority of my clients going on birth control to either stimulate an artificial period because they've lost one or to address a hormone imbalance that is something that will still be there when they go off the pill because it's not actually fixing the root cause. So can you talk about how birth control works about just kind of how it's not a real true period. Yeah. So, and I'll even say like, not every Instagram post is for you. Everyone just remember that. Okay. <laughs> Reading the post and you don't, you don't agree. You're like, Oh my gosh, this isn't me. Just keep it, keep it moving. Um, Cause I do think that it's like, that's obviously not who you're trying to reach. You're talking to the person that doesn't do well with it. And if you're taking birth control to avoid pregnancy, then I think congratulations like that's what it's meant to be used for but a lot of people aren't um they're taking it to like have a period to heal their hormones so the issue with it is basically what it's doing is it's disconnecting that communication from your brain to your ovaries right at least the pill is doing this we can talk about the different iud's but when we're taking the pill it's keeping you from ovulating so your brain doesn't communicate with your ovaries anymore which can be why it's harder to get a period once you come off you've got to reconnect that communication and so you are technically bleeding well not even all women bleed but if you are having a period on the pill it's really a withdrawal bleed and so you we're not ovulating and then having a period because like we would normally do because the whole point of it is to prevent pregnancy so you just don't ovulate that's like the whole goal of the pill. So we don't produce our own hormones um, and everything's pretty much suppressed during that time. And, and this is, you know, for somebody who's looking to get pregnant, you know, think about that process of, okay, you're basically, it's almost like you're, you're cutting off a circuit in a, a wired box or something like that. And then say you're on the birth control pill for 10 years and you come off it to get pregnant, it can be much more difficult to get your body to, you know, rewire itself and get that communication going again to stimulate a healthy period. And for me, it took a year. It took a year for me to actually get my body to learn how to do what it needed to do on its own. Again, I was on it for 10 years. That was a lot more time. Um, and, and so I think that it's, it's important to just know on a, on a, on a physical level, what's actually happening because people will say, Oh, well, no, I, I'm getting my period. And it's, it's not a true period. And, and again, I'm not sitting here saying birth control is the devil, what have you, but it's important to understand what's going on because if you went on it for a hormonal imbalance, you're, you come off it, you're still going to be dealing with the same hormonal imbalance, but even possibly more issues because of the other issues that come along with the pill, such as depleting certain nutrients like B vitamins and um, things that are essential for optimal health. And, and then again, addressing how it can impact our gut health as well. 
So now when you work with clients, um, do you, um, how do you approach that? How do you approach a client who's on a birth control pill and, um, you know, maybe they don't want to come off or, or, or how do you approach that? So often it's kind of figuring out why they're on it in the first place. Like, are they on it for birth control? What are their other options? What's realistic? What's going to make them feel the best? I think that's, it's birth control. It's just such a personal choice. And then of course, like, you know, are they single? Are they married? Like, what does that look like? That's definitely going to impact the type of birth control that you choose. Mm -hmm. And so if I do have a client that's staying on the pill um, or even like the Marina IUD, we just make sure that we're replenishing those nutrients. Mm -hmm. Um, I do lots of hair testing. That's like the main test I do with my clients since I focus so much on like metabolic health, thyroid health, um, for getting to the root. It's often like they'll see their hair tests and I get a lot of women that have really high copper and or really high iron because the pill actually has a lot of iron in it. And this is something that is not talked about a lot. Iron is super inflammatory and I would love to see research on pills that are higher in iron. Some of them have up to 75 milligrams, which is just insane. And it makes you wonder if that has a big impact on the gut health, you know, aspect of it. Cause a lot of women won't do super well, um, with the pill. And I'm like, maybe it's the excess iron, especially if they have had periods previously, cause then you already have a buildup of iron. So there's like a whole big aspect, but often when they see their hair test results, if we can see that the root cause is likely related to the pill, then often that's enough motivation to get them to want to come off, um, or to be like, okay, so how are we going to balance this out long-term while you're on it? Wow. I never knew that about the iron. That is fascinating and this could be I don't know what your thoughts on this but I know a lot of people when they they start the pill they do you mentioned experience constipation I see this a lot with my clients and I wonder if that has any relation just because of the nature of iron and how it can be more constipating is that would you propose that that would be realistic I mean I think it's realistic I also think it's crazy that doctors don't tell women. I've had women that have had really bad reactions and they have a history of like hemochromatosis. So like they automatically build up iron. And that's kind of how I discovered the whole connection with it. And I was like, cause I know there's some iron in prescription medications. Like most of them have some, but when I was like, oh my gosh, your pill has 75 milligrams of iron in it. What is even happening? Like that's why she felt so terrible. My gosh, that is crazy. Well, thank goodness she had you to help her with that. And that just goes to the the biggest stress for me. And this is probably one of the biggest stresses for you is just the lack of education. You know, we're supposed to be empowered and able to make these decisions like birth control is a personal decision. Everything that you do to your body that you put in it, how you choose to live your life is personal, but you deserve the right to have the education surrounding everything involved with that. And I, I know my frustration is just the fact that we're, we are doing the extra research and making the connections based on science and how the human body works, but there's, there isn't enough research on the birth control pill or on, you know, certain ingredients in it or things like that. We don't really have enough, I would say, robust evidence to either support some of the things that we are making the connections with or go against, um, you know, other claims and such. But I digress. <laughs> Now, this is, a, this is actually just kind of a selfish question because I have a lot of clients who are on IUDs. 
what are your thoughts on IUDs? Because I have a lot of clients who have had some kind of weird, um, you know, health issues, whether it be autoimmune or, um, you know, gut issues that are kind of unresolved with everything else that we've done. And, um, some, I know some of my clients, we've gotten them off the IUD and we've seen just dramatic improvements and even resolve of some autoimmune issues. So I can just speak to that as being an anecdotal, um, report, but what have you seen in your practice if anything at all in connection to IUDs? So I do have quite a few women. I have a lot of endometriosis clients. So a lot of them will either have the Mirena IUD while we're working together or they'll get it put in after like an excision type surgery. And I, I, it, I think it really depends on the person. Um, it does work for a good amount of my clients, the Mirena. I think it's because you ovulate about 80% of the time if mm. you're healthy, right? After the first year. So usually that first year is really rough. And then they're because they're ovulating. Um, and I have looked at hormones and stuff and the ones that do well, it's like they have balanced estrogen and progesterone. So mm. I think it can work for some people. And I, I will say like for my clients with endo, like for some of them, I think it's the right choice for now. Cause it's like, they don't want to get their uterus removed. They want to have kids. So it's just really tricky for some people. Um, but often they can lead, if lead to a lot of other issues, especially my clients with thyroid issues. Mm. And just like, even if it's like subclinical hypothyroidism, just even that progestin, they just don't have a good reaction to it. They, a lot of times it's like a big mood change and it just really impacts how we assess their healing, right? Because we're looking more at daily markers for like metabolic health. And a lot of that can't really be tracked when you have synthetic hormones. So I think it definitely interrupts the healing process and just makes everything harder for us to kind of decipher. Um, but I also have a lot of clients with copper IUDs and that is a tricky one. <laughs> I'm um, sure you've seen with gut stuff in your practice, but it's so hard because they're like, I think I'm fine. I don't have any issues. But then when we really get down to it, they do. They have a ton of issues. And I'm like, your uterus is inflamed. That's mm -hmm. the whole point so that you can't get pregnant. And it just, they have more estrogen circulating. You know, I find that they typically have low copper, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, yes, there's copper in IUD, but I think it actually makes your copper less available for the rest of the body. And we need copper for our metabolism and our thyroid and stuff. So it just complicates things. I don't think it makes it impossible, but oftentimes it leads to more inflammation, more thyroid issues, and just makes healing your hormones take a little longer. Mm. I had a client who was on the copper IUD and she was training for a marathon and she ended up having horrible hip pain and was getting it treated, you know, from a superficial, um, you know, point of view and just getting deep tissue massages and everything. And since putting it in, she has been totally out. She can't run anymore. And, um, you know, we're, we're looking at that being a really possible option because it just seems to line up. And, and we've done some testing that indicates that it, it really could be and most likely is related to the copper IUD. So there's just, there's so much out there. I think it's really important. Again, education is the most important thing. Um, so we can we can leave birth control out there for people to digest that information and, and come back to that at another date. <laughs> so what I would, are, I would, I think there's a delay. 
I was just going to say for the people that are like, then what the heck do I use if I'm not going to have like the pill or any of the IUDs? uh, I would say like, look into the fertility awareness method. And some people are not interested in having to like track your cervical mucus or take your temperature daily. But if you can take a pill every day, I think that we can do that. And a lot of women don't trust their bodies. They're like, how is that going to prevent me from getting pregnant? But we're really only fertile six days a cycle. Mm -hmm. So usually when women hear that, they're like, oh, maybe I, maybe I can do this. Like maybe I can prevent pregnancy with this. That sounds like realistic. Um, and there are so many great resources, even on Instagram, like fantastic fertility is one of my favorites and fertility Friday, and they both have free podcasts. So it's like, go look into it, listen to their podcast, um, start taking the information in. I personally was on the pill and then I had the copper IUD until I felt comfortable using FAM. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I got my IUD out. And that's what I've used now for the past like six-ish years. So it's a process and I don't think that there's like a right way to go about it. But if people are feeling discouraged about birth control, that's what I would look into. That's really helpful. I'm glad that you brought that up. Thank you. Now practical tips here. What are some ways that people can make sure that their hormones are healthy? And we, I think this is a very loaded topic as well. Um, but let's start with kind of any sort of testing that, um, maybe someone should look into doing to, to get out of the way before you even dive into, um, anything else. Like, are there any things that you use? I know for my practice, like thyroid is a big one. Um, vitamin D is a big one. I see a lot of people who are deficient, deficient in vitamin D. Um, and then sometimes I'll use the Dutch test if people are, you know, I need more information in that sense, but are there any tests in particular that you use frequently? Um, in addition to like the GI map as well, that you would say are really beneficial before even going anywhere else? I like the hair mineral test because again, it really looks at your metabolic function. And I mean, I definitely use the Dutch test. It's a very expensive lab test. So the hair test is a lot cheaper. And if you want to, most of the time when I do a Dutch with someone, like we probably kind of guessed what the results were going to be, you know, like most imbalances can be pretty obvious. And so when we do the hair test, that tells us like, why, why are things out of balance? That's what I found the most helpful. Um, and it also gives some insight into thyroid function. And I get a lot of clients that will have their, like a blood test done of like TSH, free T4, free T3, and they'll look normal, maybe like a little less than optimal, but nothing too crazy. Mm-hmm. And then we do the hair test and we get to see why. Right. So for me, that's been, that's really kind of like the base of my practice and my work with people. It's very tricky to interpret because it's not, it's what's coming out of the cells, whereas blood work is what's like inside the blood and the serum. So yeah, but it's a really helpful test to start with, I think. That's awesome. That's great. And so if people wanted to order that with you, would they be able to do that through your website? Yeah, I do have a functional lab testing tab and that shows you like the Dutch test, GI map and hair test. But for most people, I'm like, if you've never done any testing, unless you have crazy gut issues, then start with the hair test. Okay. Good to know. Um, there was something that you had said, Oh yes, this, I wanted to bring up a client example from a few weeks ago. I had a client who, and we'll kind of segue into stress. Maybe I had a client who I was working with for three months and her stress was just through the roof and she was not eating for hours at a time. 
and you know they had the extra money to spend so and she really wasn't willing to address the stress side of things and was pushing really hard in the gym doing like crazy workouts you know and um you know she she was just kind of like okay so what's next and i said well we really you know we really got to address the stress that's that's really going to be the biggest thing holding you back sleep also wasn't optimal and so i said you know she said well, what about the dutch test i said well you can do it if you want you know it's up to you and she did it and you know sent me her results last week and said you know aaron can you interpret these for me and I interpreted everything. And what did it all come back down to was stress. It came back into your cortisol levels are dysregulated, your DHEAs, you know, there, there was all pointing back to the, the point of stress. And um, that can just wreak havoc on your gut health and your hormones. Yeah, I see. I see that a lot too. And it's some Sometimes people need to see the results, you know, sometimes they just need to see it. And then they're like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll listen to you. Now. Yeah. I'm sorry. That was what I, that was the point of me telling the whole story was sometimes the testing is just going to be the data in front of you. That's going to motivate you to make change because I get it. Like I've worked with a functional practitioner and a dietitian before. And, you know, I, I don't listen to what other people say. I can be stubborn and I can assume that I'm different and I'm the exception. You know, I live in this other world. <laughs> and so, so I too need data and, and a value to sometimes convince me. So I understand that. So that's when, when I think is really the best time for doing testing and things like that. Definitely. Um, so we, we already kind of, I think we've really talked about stress. We've already talked about the fact that reducing your stress is so important. Um, whether it's physical, you know, exercise, high intensity interval training, CrossFit is not for everyone and in high amounts can be, can wreak havoc on your hormones. Am I right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that's stress. And then, um, you know, adequate nutrition, getting enough of all of the essential nutrients. Um, Amanda mentioned healthy fats, you need fats to make hormones. So I talked about fats, I think two episodes ago, but we can go through some of those things like avocado, coconut oil, cold water, fish for your omega threes, macadamia nuts, olive oils, do not be afraid of fat. Um, you know, limiting the amounts of omega-6 fats, if, if you're predominantly eating a lot of processed foods or foods that are away from home, making sure that you have, um, you know, a healthy balance of those types of fats there. Um, would you add anything to that? I would add, and I don't know if you'll agree with this, but saturated fats. I think that now a lot of us are realizing, and Chris Masterjohn does a great job at kind of stating out what the research says and clarifying a lot of the misinterpretations on saturated fat in that they're actually very stable, right? They don't oxidize as easily as more unsaturated fats like polyunsaturated fats. And so I do think they're very helpful and they've even been shown to help improve progesterone levels. So, you know, animal fats and people are going to be hopefully eating some animal proteins. And so they'll get them from like that way, but even like the saturated fats in coconut oil, butter, that kind of stuff are very helpful as well. Yeah. As a dietitian, I've actually gotten some backlash for supporting saturated fats. Um, in my stories before I've gotten people that say, well, why do you choose that product over this one? Cause have you looked at the saturated fat? And, 
Uh, although I am not going to negate the research on the association, not the causation, the association between increased saturated fat and heart disease, I do also understand um, the benefits of saturated fat. And I would agree with you, especially when it comes to hormone balance. Um, do I recommend that people put loads of coconut oil and butter in their coffee? No, that's not my approach. I don't think that that's necessary for most people. Some people thrive on it. Awesome. Even my boyfriend loves putting a giant scoop of coconut oil in his oatmeal and it's great. He's very healthy and he enjoys the taste of it. Um, so I think it, that's a, that's a great topic as we've, we've also instilled a lot of fear in saturated fat when, um, especially for females, you know, fat can be a, a big fear food and, oh, it's high in calories. And, um, you know, I don't want to, you know, gain any weight fat makes you fat, which is false. And so that can, can be a big problem in terms of how we build and balance our hormones. So let's talk about um, some things. So I guess so that was fats are really important. Um, also, you know, we could talk about specific nutrients like magnesium and zinc and all that. I think we don't really need to go too much into the specifics there. Just making sure I would say work with, you know, a nutritionist um, and dietitian and functional medicine, whoever, just to have them look at your diet and make sure that you're eating a balanced diet, that you're getting a lot of those um, essential nutrients, especially because a lot of people are deficient in things like magnesium. About 70% of Americans are deficient in magnesium. So just make sure some professionals looking at that to make sure that you're getting um, plenty of all of the nutrients and, and total calories in general. You know, we, we can't be um, not fueling our bodies properly if we're going to have healthy hormones. Um, what are some things that you have seen in terms of foods that can really throw somebody's hormones out of whack? Like, is there anything in particular? Because for me and my practice, I know soy is a big one. I have a lot of clients who are vegan and, you know, they're always worried, um, am I, I going to be able to have a healthy gut and healthy hormones if I don't want to eat animal products? Um, and yes, absolutely. We can definitely, we can definitely improve your gut health and hormones, but, um, soy is something that I've seen in my practice. I mean, you can throw the research at me all day, but I've seen the impact that soy can negatively have on a female menstrual cycle, including for my own self. When I finally got my period back, I added tofu in and, you know, completely lost it again. It was like, I am sorry, but I just, I've seen it. I know that it impacts the, the female hormones, um, especially, um, unfermented soy, so what are your thoughts there? Um, I know I kind of just ran off on a little tangent. So <laughs> so I, I feel the same about soy and it's so hard because there's other dietitians in the space that have like, this is a, this myth is debunked. Like soy doesn't hurt your hormones. And I'm like, does it though? Like, is it really? I mean, I personally wouldn't recommend it. Um, and if you're going to do it, like definitely fermented. I, honestly, like I don't necessarily like to focus on like what food's going to throw it off. I think it's usually what people are not eating mm. or that they're under eating. Mm -hmm. So that's usually my main focus is, are you skipping meals? Are you eating enough throughout the day? Or are you eating a ton at night? You know, cause people are, yes, we can 
reduce our stress and stuff. But I think one of the best ways to reduce our stress is to feed ourselves properly. Mm. It's so it's like the easiest way to make yourself more resilient. If you can balance your blood sugar, that means way less cortisol spikes throughout the day. If you're not eating enough and your blood sugar drops, guess what your body's going to do? Release cortisol. Mm. And that's going to be more stress. And so I, that's one of the first things I focus on with people is I'm like, what is your, what are your habits around food? Are you eating regularly? Do you eat? What time do you eat after you get up in the morning? Do you have an appetite when you get up in the morning? If you don't, then you've likely been eating your stores overnight instead of getting glucose from your liver. So that's kind of what I focus on instead of like a food that's bad. It's more of like, what are your eating habits? Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's really important is that focus of it's not necessarily about what you're eating, it's what you're not eating. Um, and I see this a lot with gut health, right? Is because people are like, well, is gluten bad for me? Is dairy bad for me? And it's and I mean the soy thing is just it's it's a tough one for me because I've just seen it elicit a strong response for some females and myself. And um, but but in general, yeah, it's more about what you're not eating. Um, and and I like to use the example of of making your body like feel safe, like a little kid, like think of your body, like a little kid. And if you beat it up in the gym, if you don't feed it when it's hungry, if you don't give it sleep when it's tired, how much fun is it going to be to spend a day with that kid? That kid's going to be cranky and irritable and they're going to throw juice in your face. Like nobody wants to spend time. Your body needs to feel safe just like that little child. And what that means is giving it food when it's hungry, giving it rest when it needs rest, social interaction, proper food, variety, things like that. And when we do that, it's amazing, like you said, how resilient the human body can be when it is nourished. That is the best analogy. I might steal that. but I'll You can have it. <laughs> I love it. And sometimes like my, my clients, they'll, they'll pick like a puppy or like a pit bull. Like someone was like, oh, a little pit bull, like a little like dog or something like that. And it was like, what if you starved your dog? You wouldn't starve your dog, you know? So think of yourself however you want in terms of something that needs, needs love and nourishment. Yeah, I think it's just a good way to simplify the whole stress piece because so many people are like, I can't reduce my stress like any more than I already have. Or like, I need to meditate more. I need to like they have this long list of things they need to do for like self-care and stress reduction. And I'm like, but are you eating? Because if you're not, then none of that stuff really matters. And it's like you usually have to do less. If you do less, you'll probably feel better. Yeah. Yep. I just posted on this yesterday too. Like people are so worried that if they take a day off or they're not, you know, focusing 100% on all of their to-do list things that the world is going to fall apart and take it from someone who's been there. I mean, when you take time away and time off, you go in stronger, you go in harder, you know, you go in and you perform better in life, you show up better in life, your health improves because you've given yourself that rest. And it's hard, especially with, you know, with quarantine and everything like that. Things are hard for everybody right now. There's a lot going on in the world. And I don't want to discount that. But um, I think where I'm speaking to more so is, is the diet culture side of things. And I'm, I'm speaking to that and saying, you know, where are you getting your health information? And is that health information supportive of you? 
and how is your relationship with food and, and kind of digging deeper as to where some of these habits are coming from and on a, an emotional level as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. So I digress. <laughs> um, so, so I like, I like that you also mentioned, um, the lifestyle factor of eating in a relaxed environment, chewing your food. Uh, I've seen a client literally have his first normal bowel movement just from chewing his food, which was really fun. And, um, I always, always say, you know, make sure you're eating, you know, in a relaxed environment, which sometimes can be hard, especially with quarantine. I recommended some of my clients, you know, Skype friends and eat their dinner with them or something like that. So that's my lifestyle advice. How about you? I really like paying attention to light exposure because I think it hits on like a bunch of different areas at once. Mm. So just paying attention to like what kind of light are you being exposed to throughout the day? So if you're constantly in front of screens, like I am all day, um, then I have a lot of blue light exposure, right? And if we think about it during the day, blue light is normal because that's when the sun is up. But I mean, most of the time I'm on calls until like it starts getting a little dark out. And so that's when you want to think about, are you constantly exposed to blue light from the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed? Because that's going to have a big impact on your hormones, red light and different like reds and oranges are actually really helpful for hormone health. And you, this doesn't have to be like, you don't have to get a red light. Like I, I'm obsessed with red lights. Um, but I also tried to spend time outside. Like in the mm. morning I eat my breakfast outside if it's like today was raining, so I didn't, but like I normally eat breakfast outside and try to get that light exposure, try to get the sunset, the sunrise if you can, especially if you're not going to purchase a red light. Mm. And then that gives you red light exposure. It also protects you from sunburn right there's a ton of research on how like people want to know to like naturally present prevent sunburn and stuff and like getting that red light exposure is really helpful and it helps you convert pregnenolone into progesterone so if you're one of those people like I have a lot of clients that have difficulty making enough progesterone they have thyroid issues that kind of stuff I'm like are you inside all day because we need to take a serious look at that. So even, you know, kind of assessing what your light exposure is like and like, do you always have blue light? Do you get any red light, oranges, that kind of stuff um, that can be helpful even for your sleep too. Mm, I love that. That is like, I, I just, I love being outside and through quarantine, my new thing, I have one of my best friends lives right down the street from where I am in the city. And I said to her, I'm like, hold me accountable every single morning, whether she's with me or not, I go for a quick walk outside. I try to take one in the middle of the day. And then again, right before bed, like, yes, light is so important. I have the dorkiest looking um, blue light blocking glasses in bed that yes, I should be cutting off my phone, but sometimes I can, sometimes I have to work just like you said, you know, sometimes you have to do that. And so I ordered some on Amazon. They were like 12 bucks and yes, I look like a construction worker, but I don't care. Uh, you know, it's, it's for my health. So there's so many things yeah. that you can do. I love, I love those tips. I just learned a few new things just from you about that. That's really cool. Um, so thank you for that. This has been, I could talk forever. I can't believe how fast this has gone by already. I know. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's already almost over. I know. So, so I feel like we could wrap this up into, um, I mean, we can't, but we're going to have to. If you could wrap it up into three big takeaways that you would recommend for people 
who are looking to improve their hormones, um, either in the context of gut health or not, it doesn't matter, what would they be? I would say eat consistently throughout the day, you know, don't skip meals, balance your meals, have like a protein and a carb. Fats are pretty much always going to be there. So it's not as much of a focus. Um, and then get outside. I mean, those are very, very baseline things. And when they get away from us, when life gets really busy, that's usually when we start seeing symptoms come up. So even just focusing on those three should improve how you're sleeping, how you're feeling, um, and your hormones pretty quickly. Yeah. I love, I love those. Cause they, they have such a bigger bang for, for your buck. And what's unfortunate about them is that they're, like you said, they're not sexy, right? So it's not like take ashwagandha or, um, you know, try red light therapy. It's literally, it's like you're a plant to get fresh air, water, and sunlight. And it's, it's, yeah, I love that. (laughs) So I love those takeaways. Those are awesome. Um, now before I ask you, my favorite question, where can people find you if they want to work with you? Um, if you could also share your Instagram handle, because that's how I found you and I love following your content. Thank you. Yeah. So you can follow me on Instagram at hormone healing RD. I share there pretty much like five, six days a week, um, lots of content. And then my website too, if you go to hormonehealingrd.com, you'll find my blog. I have a lot of free content on there as well. Um, I have a free like healthy period guide and nutrition course, lab testing, all that kind of stuff. Everything is there. That's amazing. You are a wealth of knowledge and such a great resource for females. I'm so blessed to have you on this podcast. Uh, It's like, and really cool just talking with you because you're very personable and, you know, very non-judgmental. And I'm sure that your clients really appreciate that about you as well. Yeah. I have the best clients. Like after we're done working together, like we just become friends. Like I'm really lucky I get to work with really cool women. That's awesome. So Amanda, what is your favorite childhood memory with food? (laughs) So you, you like prepped me before and I immediately, I'm just going to say the first one that came to my mind. I used to love and probably still would if I ate them now, fudgesicles. Ooh. And dude, fudgesicles. Oh my gosh. So, so like bad. my mom had an at-home daycare growing up and we had like, a, I'm from Connecticut, above ground pool, of course. And like in the summers, we're always outside like all day. And I would just like pound fudgesicles. And that's, that's what I remember. Like when I think of like my childhood and food, I think fudgesicles outside by the pool. I have not had a fudgicle in a long time. And I don't even know, like, where do you even find those in the grocery store nowadays? We need to bring those back. I know. I made, so I think I thought of this because I've been, like, really into making my own ice cream lately. Okay. Because it's so hard to find ice cream that just doesn't have, like, high fructose corn syrup and stuff in it. And it's not hard to make. And I made a chocolate one, and I was like, this tastes like a fudgicle. Oh, my. It's funny that you said that because I was in... I mean, not the best place to be buying ice cream, but I was in CVS today looking at the ice cream ingredients and it was like soybean oil, xanthan gum, like, and I looked at Talenti and I was like, oh, Talenti's got to be just cream sugar, you know, whatever. And I was guar gum. And, and I'm like, really? Come on. You know? So, wow. That's I think cool. Haagen-Dazs has a couple, like the vanilla, I think is fine in Haagen-Dazs and I think mm-hmm. strawberry, but I'm like, who wants 
like vanilla ice cream. Like I want a tasty one. So now I give me the, give me the good stuff or sounds like we got to make our own. Um, that's really cool. Well, I love that. And now I'm going to be craving a fudge. I'm going to have to go. Maybe you can give me a recipe or something like that. Cause you bring those in. Um, well, Amanda, thank you so much again for coming on. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. This was such a fun conversation and I hope that people um, benefit from the conversation and can use your site or you as a practitioner, um, for a great resource. Yes. Thanks for having me. I had a ton of fun. Yeah, me too. All right. Bye, Amanda. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you are interested in working one-on-one with me to improve your health and get to the root cause of why you aren't reaching your health goals, please visit nutritionrewired.com where you can also find my book, Rewire Your Gut. This is a great resource for anybody who's looking to improve their health and a really great place to start if you are kind of confused about nutrition and gut health and you're looking for some recipes to make that change really delicious. So thanks again for tuning in. As always, don't forget to share the health.